You're listening to That'll Preach, our weekly podcast looking at issues of theology and culture and talking through some of these fascinating conundrums that we find ourselves in. You like that intro, Paul? Conundrums is a great word. It's a great word. I'm Brian. <laughs> I'm, let me, I'm, I'm about to intro go you, ahead, Paul. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm Brian. Go ahead. And this is Paul, That's my right. buddy. Mm-hmm. And we talk deep stuff. So we just want to welcome you to our conversation, just the crazy things and and uh, that, that, that just ping pong through our minds. And uh, <laughs> what, what, what we talk about, uh, we just want to get into some deep conversation here. And so what we decided to tackle a couple of weeks back was the problem of evil. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. And like we said before, the problem of evil is a problem. You should get that as a bumper sticker. I should. Or a tattoo to add to my <laughs> multiple tattoos I have all over my body. I would love to see that. Um, and, you know, again, like we said, problem of evil is a problem for every kind of faith, every kind of uh, belief system. How do you Unless reconcile evil? Well, yeah. But then they <laughs> kind of have a different version of the problem of evil. Ooh, that's deep. Yeah. Right? You like that? But for Christians, <laughs> this is something that has perplexed many Christians for generations, and it's not a new question. Um, and a couple of things we want to accomplish is in, in, this theory, in this series is first, we want to get some clarity on what exactly is the problem of evil. And that was the last episode that we did. Mm-hmm. But today we want to look at ways that we can be too simplistic in solving the problem of evil, quote unquote, solving. I don't know yeah. that we can actually solve it. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to talk about some ways that well-meaning Christians can try to comfort people in suffering with answers that aren't 100% wrong, but they're also not a catch-all. They don't really solve the problem the way they might think that they do. And uh, we want to avoid simple answers, reductionistic answers. Hmm. Um, but Paul, why don't you start off, what, uh, what is the problem of evil classically defined? Classically, the problem of evil is God is all good. So presumably an all good God doesn't want evil to be around. God is all powerful. So God is powerful enough to stop or prevent evil. And God is all-knowing, so God knows about all the evil that takes place. Such a God wouldn't let evil happen. Like right. He'd want it to not be there. He'd be powerful enough. He'd know about it all. And yet you look at it in the world, you're like, there's a lot of evil here. How okay. do we reconcile that with this amazing God that you say exists? And you kind of bite the bullet. It's like you can deny evil. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're crazy. Right. You can deny that God is good and then you mm-hmm. just have a tyrant. Or you can deny that God's sovereign and then he's kind of maybe helpless in some way. He's just like a really nice grandfather. Yeah. And I yeah. think traditionally the argument really isn't over the goodness of God. I think people are like, no, we're going to defend that God's good. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone denies that evil exists. Right. So really it's the God being sovereign over all things. What does that mean? How does that cash out? That's really where a lot of the debate lies, yeah. at least among Christians. Yeah. And a lot of the ways that we're going to talk about it, talk about some of the ways that you may not want to, you know, simplistically answer the question, hmm. deal with issues of God's sovereignty. And that's what we're going to dive into today. And uh, hopefully we can provide a little more. That's what we're about. We're about clarity. You know what I mean? We're that's always about we're trying clarity. to do. So we're going to look at some of these common cliche, maybe even trite answers Yeah, that again, they're not, they're not a hundred percent wrong, but that's kind of the way it goes. You know, you're well-meaning and and you kind of hear some of these from Christian apologists or a blog post. 
maybe you heard in a sermon or well-meaning Christian friend, and we just want to help to think a little deeper about it. Yeah. Would you would you say that's what we're trying to do? That is what we're trying to do. That's what we do. That's what we do. So we have a little list of cliche answers that uh, may not be as helpful as they seem, or at least we want to refine them a little bit. And uh, let's look at a couple of these. The first one is in answering the problem of evil or trying to find a way to reconcile God's goodness, his sovereignty, and the existence of evil is the idea that God can do whatever he wants. Hmm. God it sounds it sounds nice and yeah. biblical. Yeah, you, 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 yeah, you don't want to say God can't do what he <laughs> wants, but you got to qualify it a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't want to say that God can murder, that God can like tell lies, that God can <laughs> make a covenant and then, you know, break that covenant. So there, there is a kind of like, uh, we have to understand that God's goodness means something. So we can't just deny the existence of evil. We can't just say that, well, you know, anything that God does by definition is good. Otherwise, you're on the risk of like undermining God's goodness. And so C.S. Lewis talks about how God's goodness can't be like what we call black, God calls white. What we call white, God calls black. It can't be like an inverted spectrum, right? There has to be something recognizable. When we say God's good and we say God's morally perfect, we look at like good things and goodness and we say God is that, but to just a maximal degree. So it still resembles the things that we have like common concepts about. So when you say that God can do whatever he wants or like evil's not really a problem because things on the face of it, they look evil, they might look terrible, but, you know, they're actually just, because God, you know, allows them in the world, they're actually really good things. Um, that's kind of like, it, it actually does a disservice to the character of God. You're, you're not actually taking seriously that God is morally perfect, that God is good. And how bad evil is. Right. And how bad evil is, that evil is horrible. It, it's against, you know, the way God designed the world to be. You run the risk of calling evil good, which right. is, mm -hmm. we're not supposed to do that. Yeah. And it is sort of almost like a might makes right. Like, because God did it, it's good. Exactly. And, you know, what, what's the qualified sense? Like, I mean, you were saying, like, there are things that God can't do. Mm -hmm. Right? He can't do evil. Right. And so we want to preserve that. And I think with the Lewis quote, it has to be recognizable. Mm -hmm. Like, when you think about... Um, there has to be an analogy between his goodness and our goodness. It may be, it may surpass us. We may not understand why it's good in the moment, but an analogy is something that where two things uh, are not exactly the same, but there's a relationship of likeness, mm -hmm. right? And so you don't want it to become, you know, uh, what's that circle example you mentioned? Yeah, this is also from Lewis. Lewis yeah. talks about, imagine like a child drawing a circle it's going to look scraggly and, and weird. but like Not you, mine. You, when I was a kid, I was drawing perfect circles. <laughs> False. But it's, it's going to look like you can tell what the kids, you can tell the kids not trying to draw like uh, the Pink Panther, right? right? I don't know why that, that, that was popped into very my head. specific. <laughs> but you can tell that that's supposed to be a circle. Now you've got like a professional engineer who's got a compass and got all these tools. They can draw a circle and it's going to look much better. You can tell that the engineers and the child's are supposed to be this there's they're analogous there's they're a very resemblance yeah exactly right it's not like so so when we understand god's goodness to ours it's going to be more of that kind of relationship ours is going to look kind of crappy and ragged and but we can still like god's goodness is just a perfected form of that it's not going to be like we try to draw a circle and god draws a trapezoid or like what we 
color in as white, God colors in as black. Right. It's not going to be this kind of inverted thing, but we run the risk of making God's goodness just empty and vacuous. Yeah, it empties the, the word good. Right. It means now means anything. Right, exactly. And then you can't really have a sense of, it almost makes God hidden. Mm, yeah. Uh, we know what God is like because of Jesus Christ. Exactly. So we know what goodness looks like. If it becomes stretched to the point where goodness could mean something that we think is completely evil, then then we're like not even talking about anything anymore. So it, yeah. it, again, it's it's too simplistic of an answer. And we don't really know. It, with all these things, it's like you give one answer and then this problem pops up here. Mm -hmm. You try to solve that problem, but there's another problem that opens up here. Yeah. So we have to be careful with, again, assigning sort of a totalizing solution to these things. Yeah. Well, let's go to the uh, next little thing on our list. And uh, one way, and, and this one pops up in a, in a couple different, I guess you could say a couple different varieties, but uh, it's really using the verse Romans 8, 28, which mm -hmm. is the classic, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Yep. Uh, now, uh, we can't say that that's not true. It's a Bible verse. I mean, this <laughs> is <laughs> so the word of God. It's true. Yeah. Uh, and this is more of a maybe a misapplication or, an, again, a, a slap and a Band-Aid on a gaping wound type mm -hmm. of deal. Yeah. Um, but why why could this be unhelpful? I mean, for one, it it is true, right? Like we, we acknowledge that it's true sure. because it, it's in God's word. Um, it, it almost like it's not the right solution to the problem. Like when someone's gone through someone something devastating and you whip that out, it almost like it's almost kind of self-serving to think like, oh, well, I can undo that damage. Right? I can do my duty to my friend here just by whipping out this proof text and telling them, oh, you know, all things work together for those who love God and are called in, according to his purpose. Like that's just that's not what that person needs right there. The person needs, you know presence, like you being with them, like empathizing, mourning with them, sitting through, you know, making a meal for them, helping them around the house, whatever, like whatever it takes, it take, requires actual service. And that, that's the hard part, right? It's easy to just say a verse. It's easy to whip out a piece of scripture and, you know, impress someone with your knowledge of the Bible. It's hard to actually sit with someone in their suffering and it can be awkward. It can be painful. It can be like, you know, I, they're, they're, they're crying. I don't like, I don't know what to say. But I think that that's that is what we're called to do in those situations, and part of why we find it so awkward is because we've been like we've been so removed from and divorced from like evil. It's it's not so like it's not part of our daily lives in the same way that it is for lots of people around the world, and so we've almost been inoculated to or from deep horrible evils. And so when we encounter it with our friends and family and those loved ones who are suffering, we almost don't know how to treat it, right? So this this verse kind of acts like, yeah, like you said, like a band-aid on a gaping wound. Um, it's just it's it's not the right solution being deployed. And you want to read the context of it. I think the way you want to use this verse is you want to look at the whole of Romans eight. Hmm. And Romans eight, this section, it it, it begins with the promise of what God is going to do when he returns, when Jesus Christ returns. And it says that all of creation, which is under a curse because of the fall, it's under, it's corrupt, it's decaying. Uh, it will be freed from that corruption when the sons of God are revealed. The adopted sons of God are revealed, which is a, a reference to our resurrection. So we're gonna be given new bodies. Uh, our souls and our bodies are gonna be reconnected. We're gonna have new bodies, inherit a new heavens and new earth. That's the final destination. 
And that's when all things are going to work together for our good. Hmm. Um, but that's a future hope. Yeah, yeah. And that's important because right after Paul paints that picture of where we're headed, he talks about the in-between and he says, the spirit of God groans for us with words too deep or with groanings too mm. deep for words. Yeah, yeah. The spirit is praying on our behalf. And what that means is in the middle of things, in between, you know, the first and second coming of Christ, when we're in this in-between stage, waiting for all things to be made new, it's confusing. Right. And he says, you need to know that the spirit of God is going to comfort you in the middle of it. And you're not going to always be able to connect the dots. You just need to know that eventually it's all going to come together. But that's not saying that it's going to come together in your life. Hmm. And it's also not saying that you can, in the moment, see how it's all going to work out. So it's about a future hope that makes you long for that final day when we are resurrected and God's kingdom is here on earth as it is in heaven. And what's fascinating is after that Romans 8.28 passage, it's talking about that nothing will separate us from Christ. And then he names nakedness and suffering and persecution and, mm. and all these things, these sufferings. So what he's saying is, I'm going to preserve you even if you don't have all the answers. That's right. You don't need to know how all these loose ends come together. You just know, need to know that they will, but that doesn't mean like, you know, the setback is a setup for the comeback <laughs> or some kind of like gung-ho thing yeah. where like, you know, you, you're just going to be able to go, well, I'm going to come back stronger and I'm going to come back this. It's like, that is not a promise for this life necessarily. Now that can happen in many ways. Sure, yeah, yeah. But you don't want to, the, the way you reduce, you make it reductionistic is if, is if you tell somebody, well, you know, this horrible thing happened to you um, but there, there's a, there's a, you know, you, you, you lost a child, but, but you're gonna, I don't even know, like what, what like that's one of the problems. Yeah, what can yeah. you say? What could you feel there? You know, mm. it's almost like the net gain in this life will make up for it. It's like, well, yeah. not in this life. Yeah. Right. It's not how people work. Yeah. And so yeah. it's an issue of timing yeah. that this verse is meant for that, that final hope of everything coming together. And we don't need to be able to even discern how God is working all things together to have that as our hope. And I think what the unhelpful part of this is, is it's going to make people start to try to connect the dots hmm. when it's just too complicated yeah. and oftentimes too painful and too inscrutable, too under, too, too beyond our understanding uh, for that. That's kind of the simplistic way of looking at it. So we've looked at, you don't want to say God can do whatever he wants. That makes, you know. That, some, that can call evil good. Uh, and you also don't want to just be simplistic with Romans 8.28. You, mm -hmm. you want to make sure this is about a future hope. Uh, an, another common trite answer mm. would be sin is always, or rather suffering or, 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 or evil is always due to sin. Yeah. What's the problem with that, Paul? I mean, again, there's, there's some truth there. There is a, you know, we see examples of even just your own consequences, like you do something stupid. Proverbs, and, yeah, right? That's what Proverbs some, is about. <laughs> right, like you are hammering away, you're not careful, you'll hit your finger. Uh, that was probably a terrible a example. Terrible, <laughs> well, you can look at James, you know, it's like you might need to go to your elders and confess sin and that's why you're sick. Or or Paul in you 1 Corinthians 11 says, you were, from, you're, you're sick and some of you would die because yeah. you took the Lord's Supper yeah. in an you know, unfaithful way. So there are realities to this. Um, so that's, that's an example of, God actually like disciplining, punishing people right. for that. Right. And then there's examples, like I was trying to poorly <laughs> give an example of earlier of your just you're stupid dumb. natural consequences stupid. lead to, you know, 
bad your bad choices lead to bad consequences. So so we want to affirm there's some truth in your bad consequence your bad actions will lead to bad consequences. Sometimes your sin will result in actual suffering from, you know, God executing some judgment. Um, but this this response doesn't always get every single situation right. And so that's what we're trying to get here. It's not a catch-all. Um, think back to Job. So this response is thousands of years old. Job's friends see, well, God is a good God. Job is undergoing all of this horrible suffering, and he lost all his kids, he lost his crops, he's attacked, all that stuff. That was Job texting that me. That was, yeah, he's like, get my he's story like, right. He's like, yeah, it was a terrible time. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they're like, they, they made, they connected the dots. They were like, seems like you have something going on in your life. That's not quite right. You need to get rid of that. You need to get right with God somehow. And then once you're good to go, God will, you know, alleviate the afflictions and you'll be fine. But the lesson that we learned there is that that wasn't the right application of that truth in Job's situation. Yeah, because they were they were right in general. I mean, they're, sure. they're, they're quoting things yeah. from scripture even and or, or, or scriptural principles. But again, yeah, they're misapplying it. Exactly. You think of like when Jesus heals the blind man in John 9, people come up to him after and they're like, Lord, was it his sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be blind? And Jesus said, it's neither, but so that the glory of God might be revealed through this work. And so it's not always your sin. It's not always a generational sin. It's not, it, the evil and suffering can't always be pinpointed to one specific sin. Right. So, so there is a greater, we, we can talk about the fall and the sin of humanity. All the evil and suffering in the world can be attributed to that in this grand sense, like creation is groaning and longing for being made right and all this sort of stuff. So sin does make the world broken and sin does explain all of the suffering in that general sense. But we can't neatly link up and draw dots between this person did this sin at time T1. Therefore, this evil thing happened at time T2. And it's just not that neat and tidy. So we, we should avoid thinking in those simplistic, trite, overly linear um, terms. You think about Luke 13. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, the Tower of Siloam fell and it killed a bunch of people. Yeah. He's like, don't, don't think these people are more sinful than you. Right. <laughs> you should just realize that you could die too. Mm. And, you know, it's... Yeah, again, like making that too neat of a connection between suffering and sin can be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And again, it, this is not that there aren't cases where that's true. It's just trying to make it a catch-all for everybody's situation. Yeah. And that's the error that Job's friends made. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, what about this next one? What's the next one? Free, Free will. will. Oh. <laughs> Brian and I have probably spilled, I was going to say like, Gallons of ink, but we don't write anything. We, we do text. Right. We, we've spent gallons of sweat arguing. Oh, I, I don't even. Ah, oh, blood, weird. sweat, and tears. That's it's weird. more along those lines. But yeah, so so this response, you often get like, well, God gave humans free will. Free will comes with a price that there's a risk involved. And humans can use their free will, their gift for good. They can use it for ill. So remember we talked about there are two different kinds of evil. There's moral evil and there's natural evil. Moral right. evil is the kinds of evil that humans do against each other. They use their wills to murder, to do violence, to you know own slaves, all this kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, we have natural evils, which are natural disasters, diseases, things that we don't have any direct control over, right? They're all forms of evil in the world. So even if the free will response works, it's only going to work for that first kind of evil. It's only sure. going to work for moral evils, right. but it's going to do nothing to give you a satisfactory response for 
why this kid has leukemia, why, you know, this monsoon came and wiped out an entire village. So that it's just, it's, it's only going to give you part of an answer if, if anything, um, but we can, we can push even further. We can look at this response and it's, it, it doesn't actually hold up to scrutiny quite as well as people think it is. It's, it's so popular. It's like, it's like the go-to response from all the Christian apologists. If you're listening to this, you're probably like, well, like I, I think it's a really good response. The problem though is like, think about the new creation. Think about when God restores everything, when he resurrects our bodies. Um, there we're going to live in a world that is devoid of sin. We're going to live in perfect communion with God, perfect communion with each other, perfect relationship with the world. And there's going to be no suffering, no slavery, no lust, no greed, no vainglory. We're not going to choose to sin. We're yeah, not going to have quote unquote free will in that sense. Every single time we make a choice, it will always be to do something good. Right. So there we've got a situation where God has engineered a world where we always freely do good and refrain from evil. So if that's possible, then that means that it like that risk of free will is not an Necessary. intrinsic risk. Right. Yeah. You right? Don't, he doesn't have, he, doesn't he have could to. make a world because that's what's going to be like one exactly. day. Exactly. Right. So the fact that God can create a situation like the new creation where we're all using our wills to freely love God and be in perfect harmony with each other, God could have created that from the start. He right. chose not to. Right. So that suggests that this kind of free will doesn't necessarily have the risk to do evil or, or the probability of evil. Otherwise, you run the risk of saying like, well, you have to explain what goes on in the new creation. How is it that all of these humans can live perfectly without ever using their wills to do evil? So it it is a massive hole in the explanation. People d tend to overlook that. And people will say, well, to genuinely love God, you need to have the ability to not love him. And, but again, right. we're going to be loving God perfectly mm -hmm. in eternity and yeah. we're not going to not love him. Right. Right. And, and, and you have to also, to, you, you have to think about what are you saying? Like, that free will is so important, at least the libertarian free mm -hmm. will, you know, yeah. the, 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 that, that kind of radical free will mm -hmm. that one, you know, the future's uncertain. God just like takes the risk right. with us right? and knowing us, why would he take that risk? <laughs> but also that's so important to justify the Holocaust. Yeah. I and mean, are you sure? Is free will that important? Yeah. That you is know, the children being uh, you know born uh, sold into sex slavery all this stuff that's that's so important just so you can have the ability to say no yeah. to God or yeah. something like that yeah you got to wonder what's really at stake here and again it's what bullet are you going to bite are you going to say are you going to deny evil mm -hmm. are you going to deny God's sovereignty are you going to deny God's goodness and it's sort of like people are saying well we're just going to make him we're going to diminish his sovereignty so much to get him quote unquote off the hook mm -hmm. that then it becomes well. Who's really in control then? Yeah, yeah. And this this kind of thinking does lead to like what, you know, what's often called process theology or open theism where God doesn't know the future, where things are radically open. God gives us this tool where it's like God God doesn't even know the outcome of what I'm going to use my free will right. for. So, you know, it, it, it does tend down a line that undermines God's sovereignty, that undermines God's omniscience. And you end up with a God who looks more like you know, a really, really nice old grandfather figure, but who doesn't know the future, who can't really control the world. And, you know, it, it's an impoverished view of God. And so we're not interested in that impoverished view of God. We're trying to defend the classical view of God that, you know, the church has held on to for right. 2000 years. And that kind of God 
is incompatible with this kind of radical, you know, openness. So, so just we're not denying that we have free will. Brian and I both believe that we have free will. Um, we might do a full series on this. We later. just think our lives are a computer simulation. <laughs> Cue Elon Musk. But we, yeah, maybe we'll do a, a podcast series on this in the future, unpack different kinds of free will. But yeah, we do have free will. We just don't need a radical, deep, open future kind of free will where you say like, well, there's an intrinsic risk. Like we have to have the ability to not love God or, or the possibility of be, you know, being able to commit murder in order for there to be true love and true relationships. That's just not the case. Yeah, with all these, it, we're just saying these aren't the slam dunks that... Right. People think they right. are. Yeah. And there's problems and holes with all of them. And, and you know, a lot of it, I'm even thinking about this with sin is always, or uh, sin is always the cause of suffering or even the whole free will argument. We just want to control it. Yeah. We just want to feel like, well, oh, they're suffering because they did something bad. So if I don't do that bad thing, I won't mm -hmm. suffer like them. We almost want people to deserve what they get because in that logic, it's transactional. Exactly. It's a formula that you can easily control. Yeah. Right. And, you know, again, it's not saying that there's no connection between obedience and blessing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but it's one thing to say when you obey God, God blesses that. It's another thing to say that obeying God is like a lever that controls God, that makes him do what you want. Right. Right. So it's a general principle that God will bless your obedience, but also you don't want to make it like a bargaining chip. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of your motive, you know. Um, when, when you obey your parents or you do, or let's say, you know, I, when I was a kid, I played piano and <laughs> did recitals or whatever. My dad would give me like, buy me a toy or whatever. I had a good recital. Uh, it's one thing to be like, man, oh, thank you for giving that to me. You know, showing that you were pleased with what I did. That's a great gift you gave to me. Mm -hmm. The other thing, if I said, if I do good, like I use it as a ransom, like dad, now I deserve this gift. Now you must give me this. Yeah. You don't want everyone to have that attitude with God, mm. but you, so we don't want to deny as if like God doesn't care at all that we obey or that God, God, God doesn't like to bless us when we obey, but just it's not a vending machine. Right. Yeah. And that's an important nuance to pick up on. I didn't know you played piano as a kid. I'm Asian. I have to. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we come from the womb playing piano and violin and doing math. Only you are allowed to make that joke. I know. <laughs> So we, we've looked at a couple of these. We're, we're going to wrap up with this final one. And this one's an interesting one. Yeah. Soul building. Soul, Soul building. building as an explanation uh, for, the, for the existence of evil. Hmm. What's soul building? Soul building is when you get a bunch of little blocks, Legos, and you put them together and you build a little soul. There you go, folks. You guys should see Brian's face I will face not right dignify now. that with any <laughs> with a response. That's terrible. That's all right. Okay, let's move past <clears> that. <throat> Get to the actual soul building. Get to the actual soul building. <laughs> soul building is this idea that God literally builds your soul, builds your character through the suffering and evil that you encounter in the world. And this response like, is ancient. It goes all the way back to Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers. He's come up in our podcast before. Um, he talked about how you can only uh, have it's charity. Like, it's like, I feel like we like, <laughs> like went to his grave <laughs> and was like, Irenaeus, talk to us. Special what guest. What do you want? <laughs> That's my Irenaeus impression. Irenaeus. He was French, right? Was that your French accent? I don't know. I, was he French? Oh, yeah. Irenaeus he was of Irenaeus of Leon, yeah. This is Irenaeus. <laughs> the problem of Egypt. We should get Guillaume to do uh, oh, Irenaeus. Gonna, like, not after he hears this interview. <laughs> All right, keep going. Irenaeus. Irenaeus, yeah. 
he talked about how you can only have charity if you have poverty. You can only have bravery if you have, you know, really difficult situations and dangerous circumstances that require you to overcome and, you know, exhibit courage and, you know, do all these amazing things. So, so charity requires poverty in the world. Generosity requires that, you know, people don't have as much as they need. Courage and bravery require danger, all these kinds of things. So, so the world, in order to make us better people, in order to make us more full, more human, there have to be these kinds of obstacles. And so these obstacles, in the same way that like, you're not gonna get strong at a gym that has no equipment, and you're not gonna get fast at a, you know, a racetrack that doesn't have obstacles and hurdles and all that stuff, you won't be able to grow and be agile. In the same way the world is built in with these obstacles and hurdles to make us better people. And again, like was true with all of the other responses, there is a lot of truth to this. And scripture talks about how suffering comes for uh, the building of your faith, how it, it purges your faith and shows you what's really good and true and it burns away all the the non-gold and all right. that stuff, right? So, so yeah, there, there's definitely an aspect of that that we want to affirm. The problem is in, you know, what do you do to like the child who is, you know, in a, like miscarriage, like that, there's no soul building there. That that child didn't even have the chance to, to experience anything. Right. So what do you do for these horrendous, seemingly pointless evils, right? Where someone's life comes to an end or it doesn't seem to contribute to anything at all for that person. Um, so again, you, you want to be careful. You don't want to deploy or use this um, when, when looking at someone's life there's not going to be necessarily a clear connection or a clear opportunity for something to to grow and, and to be overcome and to, you know. So there are instances where you do find that, where it does build the soul, where it does build perseverance and endurance. And, you know, when you overcome temptation, it makes sure. you stronger and all that kind of stuff. But again, it's not going to be all encapsulating. It's not going to be that catch-all that you're looking for. And you imagine things like you know, someone with PTSD. Yeah. And or sexually abused or tra mm. something traumatic. Um, it's kind of like, it, it, it just feels weird when you're just like, oh, this is just a trial you're going through. You'll come back stronger. Yeah. It, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, and I don't think it is a proper application of that. Mm -hmm. And so we want to not get, this kind of reminds me of like, like motivational speaking a little bit. I mean, there's some truth <laughs> to it. It's like, yeah, your trials make you stronger, adverse, you know, like got to go through adversity and all that stuff. Um, and again, there are degrees of reality to that. That mm -hmm. is true. You should be able to handle adversity and be able to become, and, and I think even in, in, in extreme cases that can happen, but you just don't want it to be sort of a rah, rah, like, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind yeah. of, it, it just, it, it's not taking uh, stock of how damaging evil can be Absolutely. to somebody. Yeah. How how it can shatter you, mm -hmm. shatter your mind. Yeah. And uh, it's just not always the best approach. Again, yeah. with all of these, I can't keep. I mean, I will keep, but it, it just bears repeating. We're not saying there's no truth to any of these responses. We're just mm -hmm. saying they're not catch alls. They're not. Right. You you can't apply these in a unthinking way. Sure. And, and there are maybe more robust, better ways to think about it that we'll talk about in the next episode. We're really yeah. hyping up this next episode. Yeah, it's going to be great. Once we figure out something to say, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, once we get it right. <laughs> but uh, so God can do whatever he wants. Well, be careful with that. You don't want to call evil good. Romans 8, 28, just make sure you do it in the context of a future hope. Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to, you know, 
connect all the dots in this life necessarily. Sin is always a cause of suffering. Sometimes it is, but don't be like Job's friends. Make sure you're applying correctly and listen to the person and get the details before you use that. Yep. Free will, well, we're not gonna have free will in that sense in the new creation. Mm -hmm. So, and it is, it is us having free will worth the Holocaust. Yeah. You know, is it yeah. that important, worth that much atrocity? And soul building. Yes, in most cases, it is building your soul, but there are some cases where really that's not the best way to go about it or to think about it. Yep. Again, it's supposed to be hard. Yeah. I mean, I don't. we're not supposed to be able to just give an easy answer. And I think the fact that the Bible struggles with these questions itself and it doesn't shy away from it, it's not like the problem of evil just happened after the Bible was written. <laughs> it's, you're, it's full of people dealing with it. I think the fascinating thing is the the tools the Bible gives us to deal with suffering are diverse, mm -hmm. and a lot of them aren't about answering the question. I think the fact that the Bible doesn't answer the question of evil shows us how we're supposed to think about it. Yeah. It's not going to be this great explanation that finally makes us at peace. I think there's a different kind of answer that involves practices and community and service and and the and the the, the basic, you know. I keep getting practices, liturgy of, of life. Yeah, yeah. These kinds of things are what institute healing rather than getting the answer to why. Yeah. And yeah. I think maybe we just have to let go of the why is this happening and instead focus on, okay, what am I supposed to be in the middle of this without the answers? Yeah. And maybe that's how suffering transforms us in positive ways. Absolutely. Look at it that way. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in the coming episodes. Thank you guys for listening to this. And uh, be sure to share this with your friends. We wanna get uh, get people listening and thinking about this. Maybe you've got friends that are going through a hard time and, and they aren't sure where, where they stand with faith. And we hope and pray that this would be a helpful resource for them and for all of you out there. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time.